employee engagement and satisfaction scores on average are still on the decline in the 2022 federal best places to work rankings from the Partnership for Public Service. Even with that slightly downward trend, though, some agencies still managed to shine. The partnership held breakfast ceremonies for the top-rated large, medium, and small agencies. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman attended and files this report. Only 19 of the 74 agencies in the partnership's 2022 rankings either improved or held steady in their engagement and satisfaction scores. Even many of those topping the charts, like NASA and the Government Accountability Office, both number one agencies in their respective categories, saw decreasing scores. But despite the general decline, some are still showing positive signs. For one, the employee engagement and satisfaction score for the Small Business Administration jumped up by almost six points. The agency also ranked sixth overall out of nearly 30 mid-sized agencies and earned the title of most improved this year from the partnership. Federal News Network got more from Elias Hernandez, SBA's chief human capital officer. What we've done in our organization is stay connected with our employees through the pandemic and even prior to the pandemic. That's something that we always do in the agency, promoting uh, the agency's mission, uh, ensuring that our employees are engaged in the organization, but most importantly, ensuring that our employees understand that when we take surveys and they generate feedback for us, that leadership actually take actions on those uh, on that feedback that's coming in. We help organizations uh, with an SBA to prepare action plans to improve in the areas that have been identified during the FBS process. Beyond looking at the data and addressing problem areas when they arise, the arguably more crucial part for agency leaders is to first listen to their employees and then tell them the decisions or changes they're making and why. SBA's Hernandez explains. We focus all the way across the organization, listening to the feedback that our employees are providing us. With regards to the satisfaction the employees have in the organization, we look at information related to resources. Uh, We look at uh, information related to promotion opportunities in the organization and the overall leadership development process of the organization. And we take the feedback of our employees, we analyze the strategies that we have in place, and we make modifications based on that feedback. The key thing, once again, is for us to always communicate back to the employees that we are listening to their, their information, we are taking action on the information, and we are actually modifying the strategies to address their points of views. At the National Science Foundation, the score for engagement and satisfaction dropped slightly, but NSF still ranked second overall for mid-size agencies. NSF leaders are looking for reasons behind the score change this year and how they can approach different solutions. Wanzi Gardner is Chief Human Capital Officer at NSF. What we're trying to do is make sure we're communicating to our staff. They're clear hearing our message and we're hearing them so we can make sure. And so I look at that blip as trying to figure out how we work in this hybrid environment or what I call more of a distributed environment. We have people that are remote, we have people that are hybrid in the office. And trying to communicate, not connecting, but communicating is key to that. And we need to do a better job communicating. The Partnership for Public Service, which compiles the annual Best Places to Work rankings, reported an overall engagement and satisfaction score of 63.4 out of 100. That's about one point below the 2021 score and another four and a half points below 2020's score. Max Steyer, president and CEO of the partnership, says uncertainty over return to office plans continues to be a stressor for federal employees and is likely still contributing to the declining scores. Here's Steyer. This two-year downward trend is a clear signal that leaders across government 
must address workforce concerns and reverse the slide, which we know is possible considering that more than a quarter of agencies had scores that increased or held steady. Again, when we look at these averages, I think it's so much more powerful when we pull apart and look at the variation uh, across government and within agencies. Now, if we think back, there were obviously many issues that were occurring when the survey was out in the field, including evolving return to the office policies, high inflation and uncertainty about pay increases, large new initiatives like the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Act, that agencies had responsibility for implementing. But human capital leaders say regardless of what the factors are that may influence the scores, it's important to communicate with staff members. Here's SBA's Chico Elias Hernandez. Stay connected with your employees. Share information with your employees, you know, whether it's good information, bad information, or and also get them engaged into the decision-making process of the organization, right? They need to be engaged. They need to understand why we are making the changes that we are making. They need to understand the impact of our decisions. And ultimately, we want them to be champions of the decisions that we make. The General Services Administration was another agency with a slightly declining score, but the agency still ranked fourth overall, holding on to a top-five position that it received in last year's rankings as well. To maintain its status near the top, GSA leaders say they try to incorporate suggestions from internal staff as often as possible. GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan spoke at the partnership event. We know that the best ideas about how to attract talent come from our team. We talk to them about it all the time. We use internal surveys to understand how we can better meet the needs of the folks on our team. We use new tech tools. We embrace training. We are also doing lots of things to make it more accessible. One of the things we did over the last year was centralized uh, American Sign Language interpretation in one place in the agency so anybody could access that before it was hard. And we've, we found that having these kind of feedback loops, not just with our customers, that's really important for us, but the same kind of feedback loops internally inside of our organization is what helps keep our culture strong. For the Department of Health and Human Services, which held on to its number two spot for large agencies, the focus will be looking at strengths in some areas of its massive workforce and adjusting others to replicate those successes. Andrea Palm is Deputy Secretary at HHS. We've set specific targets. Uh, We are beginning to execute them. We have dashboards that are available internally to all staff. They can understand um, the, the scores of their agencies, what the action plans are, how people are executing against them, and continue to provide feedback as we move uh, to do this work um, with, with higher and higher uh, excellence. Um, and we continue to look across the department for best practices. We have uh, agencies who have been engaged in this kind of work in ways that others haven't. So how do we, how do we lift all boats? How do we use what we know works in NIH, for example, in another part of the dark department and vice versa? So we've got lots of work to do, but we are committed to this. And I think it's really um, uh, important and is a personal um, priority of mine. Looking forward to the upcoming Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey this year and next year's rankings from the partnership, the National Science Foundation is targeting a few key areas. Here's NSF Chico Gardner. We're trying to make sure we upskill and we reskill our people to be able to work in this environment. We're also trying to make sure we give our managers and employees the soft skills that are needed now to work in this new environment. Things that we didn't think about before are more important now. How do we engage each other? How do we talk to each other? When we're on the screen, it's flat, and so the verbal and nonverbal cues that we, we used to rely on are not available anymore. So I think it's very important that we go through this new era that we learn new soft skills to make sure that we're communicating and delivering the message that we need to the American people.
Gardner's advice to agencies who might be struggling? Patience. It's not going to happen overnight because, first of all, it has to be a sincerity and commitment and transparency by senior leaders. So this is important. This is not about lip service. It's about actions. My grandmother used to say sometimes, I, your actions speak so loud I can't hear your words. And so it's very important that the actions of the leadership and the administration of these organizations are committed to the health, welfare, and safety of employees. Drew Friedman, Federal News Network. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in, and she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more 
and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president at Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were illiterate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, We have institutions that want to define themselves uh, based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them. And I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, Now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have, you mentioned Horace Mann, I don't know if if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released. And that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sasulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger 
towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness towards the society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story. And it, you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to, to go as far as you have and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you've got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way, that's sort of I, the I way that I kind brilliant. of see all of that. You that's know? <laughs> and um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about traveling, getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, today. thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast. <laughs>